Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I'm Nathaniel Costilla, and tonight we have a special guest. Most of the guests here that I invite are people whom I have a relationship with or I know really closely. But tonight it is a surprise. A surprise because I don't know much about our guest and uh, most of you don't know much about her. And this is beautiful because it's a new story. It's a new journey and it's uh, it's something fresh. And I can't wait to hear Shah's story. Uh, let's welcome to the show Shah Hodgkinson. Thank you so much for having me. It's Char, just such an honor to be here. <laughs> I don't know much about you, but this is beautiful because I want to find out a lot about you. Yeah. So when you first, let's say you, you go in a room and nobody knows you and they all introduce themselves to one another and it comes to you. Now it's your turn to introduce yourself. What do you say? <laughs> Talk about being put on the spot. Um, I'd probably say that I'm... I'm filled with a mercy gift from God. You know, I really love people. I really love to encourage people and see the best in people. Um, I'm definitely fiery. Um, I I love to preach the gospel. Uh, I think a lot of people have often said to me, you know, slow down or maybe that's not for now, but I'm all for going forward and um, sharing the love of God, no matter what place you are, no matter where you find yourself. So you'd go, it doesn't really matter the circle you're in. Yeah. You'll just... Say it straight out. Yeah. I, so if I, you get on the plane yeah. and you sit next to somebody, <laughs> they say, hi, I'm, I'm Nathaniel. Yes. Where are you traveling today? You'd say New Zealand. More often than not, <laughs> it will, in, in, in a way, in time, you know, obviously wisdom in that, in being able to get to that subject. But there is a motive and my motive is for your salvation. My motive is for your soul. So I'll be looking for, you know, uh, ways in which the Lord will speak to me about that person's life, whether it's prophetically. And you do um, that from the word go or you use into it? Yes. Yeah. I, I can't help it really. I believe <laughs> I was born and bred to be an evangelist. Do they, uh, do they run away from you or do um, they hang no, around? I usually find that it's actually an attractive part of my personality. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I, I think that it's really good to be, uh, you know, innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. And I think that people are longing to hear about a God that loves them and to bring hope. Um, and I think so many people don't really know what they're doing in life. They're kind of wandering through life or they're just doing as the world says or expects from them. Yeah. But I think that um, when you bring a message prophetically into their life and really speak life into it, or maybe you expose something that's been hidden, yeah. um, it's it's amazing the opportunity that God got, uh, gives you to be able to share his love for them in that moment. So do you so. look for the prophetic immediately when you meet someone? I think I move very prophetically in evangelism. I'm an okay. evangelist. Um, you know that's the call and office on my life uh, at this point in time but I definitely would say I move very prophetically in that office yeah I I don't think it's so much that I look for it I think it's just uh, the gift you know as the Lord gives us gifts I think it's just something that he's knitted in me and so uh, for me to locate the inner stream or what's in your life or what's going on it's very fast yeah and so i i love to I, i'm not gonna that. say do me now <laughs> <No>. <laughs> most people yeah. would but i'm fine yeah. I, I don't need no. that uh, no. probably somewhere along the line it will happen tonight but that's fine <laughs> uh 
Yeah. When did it all start, this prophetic gift? Yeah, well, I, I would probably say, um, you know, the evangelist, it's something I think I've always had. Uh, as you get older, you start to look back and you can see where God really, it was always there. It yeah. wasn't something, made, you know, we always grow in everything, but it was something that's always been there. And um, and you don't get a junior Holy Spirit, you know, even yeah. when you're younger. And I like so, that. Yeah, and so you look back and you think, wow. Um, it was probably um, when it really showed up strong, I think, was my first year at school, my very first day of my first year at school. At and six when, or seven? Yes. I think I was maybe five at the time, oh. five or six. And um, my mom said when she came to pick me up, I'd made a friend that, that very first day at school. Yeah. And I was leading my friend to the Lord out in the car park and we were five or six years old. So I think it's always been there. Um, I, so you grew up in a Christian family then? I did. I I grew up, my mum, she was just so in love with the Lord. Um, it was a hard uh, upbringing. We had um, our background and story as a family is quite challenging um, for everybody that was involved. I'm yeah. one of four siblings and yeah. it was a single mum uh, that brought us up. And she's an amazing woman of God. Her, she was one that stood out in her own family yes. um, to really follow the Lord. And she knew from a young person that she was called to the mission field. And um, and so I've been brought up in, in a sense of from a woman who had a lot of issues herself. But I even throughout those issues, she led me to a personal relationship with Jesus. I watched my mom yeah. uh, relate to the Lord in her brokenness. And I think that you know, I learned that really early on that when you need him, it's him and him alone. It's, yeah. He's the only one you can turn to. And so, yes, I would say, um, you know, it was such a gift to have my mom or, or to be given as a gift to my mom. This was and, in New Zealand? Um, no, I was actually born and raised here. In Australia? Um, yes, my mom is uh, English background or Australian background uh, through and through. And then uh, my mix is uh, my father is from New Zealand. So he is a Maori mix. And um, so, yeah. That's where and I, all your siblings are from. Uh, from the same father? Yes, yes, all okay. four of us, yeah, yeah. So you were born in Australia, up yeah. north? or Up north, actually, yeah. Um, I was born, believe it or not, we were raised in an Aboriginal community. Okay. Um, that community is called Robin. I was born in Port Hedland, which is a couple of hours from Robin, yes. uh, in a mining area, but it was really because I was coming early and there were complications. Other than that, I would have been born in Robin too, at the little hospital there. And then so your dad was working at the mines, I at think? At that time, my mum and dad were together and um, he was working, yes, at, I think one of the early on, I think it was Point Sampson, just out from there, there was like the first reclaimers that were built um, during that mining time. We're going back to 1980 here, so... <laughs> Don't give away your age, <laughs> I won't please. give away too much. Uh, yeah. And uh, where are you in the four siblings? I'm the second eldest. Okay. So I have an older brother. Yeah. yeah. And then? And then there's a sister behind myself and yeah. then another younger brother. Okay. Yeah. So we have Zahn, Shah, okay. myself, yeah. Deanna and Judah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful names. Yeah. Thank you. So you grew up in a small town, uh, yes. mining town? Well, it was actually an Aboriginal community. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't mining. It was an uh, Indigenous community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were very much in tune with the land, with the spiritual world? Yeah. I mean, my mum was Christian at that time. My father there was a wasn't. church. There was a yes. church there. There was a local Aboriginal church. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, it was funny. I didn't really realize when you grow up in a small community like that, um, you know, you don't realize 
that there's a big wide world out there. Yeah, and, that's your world. Yeah, it's your world. And it's very simple. It was a yeah. very simple world for those years. And um, it was beautiful. And the indigenous people, Aboriginal people, you know, of Australia live a very simple lifestyle yeah. um, in those communities. But there's also a lot of um, issues in those communities. Sure. Um, that are still there today and so you know you you kind of have that you have the simpleness of what you're living but you also have these issues that are there yeah yeah so and did you actually ever live in New Zealand no no so you still have a, a Kiwi accent without living in New Zealand where did you <laughs> pick said, that from mom or dad or um it must have been my father they weren't together through a lot of my years just okay. my young years. on and off or just no off? no just off yeah once, so once when what's what's your first memory of dad um yeah that will be quite quite personal he is still alive um we don't have any uh relationship at this point in time and that's been really a protection from the lord i believe um my earliest memory, unfortunately, would be that he was quite a violent man. Um, but what I know of that people have told me about him is that he was very artistic. Okay. Um, so I don't have that kind of music or uh, I think painting? both musician and um, art. Yeah, oh. painting and drawing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And when you say violent, was it due to alcohol or um, anger? Or? Yeah, it would be a mixture of those things. Yeah, it would be drugs, alcohol, um, violence. I think... Um, was it common in I think it's common town? in Maori culture yeah. and in Indigenous communities. Yeah, so you have the both, you know. And um, and I think for my father, he came from that Maori culture, that tribal background. Yeah. And there is a lot of, um, you know, uh, our background and history as tribal people also of uh, New Zealand, Maori is that it's very similar to indigenous there's a lot of issues there yeah and um you know he was one that had known a harsh upbringing i believe and so mm. you know and then it carries on as you will yeah. see yeah okay yeah and mom just hanged in there no matter what mom hung in there for a really long time um there's a little gap there's 14 months between myself and my eldest brother okay so she had two babies then then there's a little gap before my sister was born about four years later and um we we did leave at one point in time uh, and then I think my mum tried again and then the two youngest my my younger brother and sister were born and um, they're just such blessings from the Lord you know they're powerful fiery people for God as well and um, so they had to come yeah but um, after that it, it was really finished after that I think my youngest brother might have been about six months old and then after that we never went back yeah so you left uh, your mum we did took you and left yeah yeah and you went to Portland no, we left and actually came down to Perth for a period of time. Okay. Um, it really wasn't safe for us to probably be uh, yeah. our whereabouts known okay. um, for a period of time. So we lived in a safe uh, way here in the city of Perth. And my her parents were here and my grandparents. And, yeah. and so, um, yeah, we came down into that environment and went into private school and... It was really the first time I recognized that I had any color in my skin. It was the first time that I realized I was very different, uh, okay. especially in a private educational system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would go to school without shoes on. I would go to school, um, you know, it was, it was just a very natural environment in the desert, you know, yeah. um, living with them. And so when I came down to Perth, it was the first time I think that I really recognized that I was, I was so different to everybody else. How old were you? Eight, um, seven? I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the age, sorry. Um, yes, a little bit older, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, massive shift. 
It was a massive shift. And, and when we came... Culture shock. Yeah, it was. It was a really big culture shock for me. So it's something that I really relate with with the Indigenous people mm. um, as to what that's like for them um, when we, uh, you know, address things like racism and things like that. We like to say we're multicultural in Australia, but I always say we are to immigration or to immigrants, but we're not to our own people. And, and that's a vice versa. It's the same as them accepting us. Um, and the other way around, yeah. yeah, there is still a long way that we have to go oh, for absolutely. reconciliation. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, people say that people are racist. I think governments are racist, and yeah. you know, society is racist as a whole. They just don't know how to do it well. I think, I think people right. do it much better than than the government does. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of even with you know all this black movement in America, mm. it's. I mean, it the government gets anything. it so wrong. It does, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and especially, like, I've, I've been through Southeast Asia, many, many countries where so many tribes, different tribes, coexist and live together. And they actually work it out much better than we do. Yeah. yeah. And without the government interfering or any... I mean, yeah. at times, you know, there's, there's rivalry between the tribes, but they work it out. Yeah. I think because you're dealing one-on-one with the issue and you're really moving towards um, reconciliation and actually what can help. But I think with the government, they're too busy worried about what the majority might say or even what a minority might say. And because of that people-pleasing attitude towards it, instead of hitting it on the head and addressing the issue, we find that we go around the mountain and um, it doesn't really get anywhere. Yeah, that's very true. So school back in Perth, um, challenging? Very much. And it's when another challenge kind of hit my life, which I think was a real tipping point for me, where it kind of hit me on a a level of like a downhill, I think. Um, So it's sort of known domestic violence as a child. You know, I had seen that. And fear really had gripped my life um, growing up in that way. Um, And then when we came to... Uh, Perth and just to uh, protect people's um, identities in this there was another man in my life that was close to us that um, sorry yes there was another man in my life that was close to her to us at that time uh, which we experienced um, sexual um, sorry Sorry. There's another man in our life during that time that we experienced sexual abuse. And so we went from, you know, kind of feeling unsafe as siblings with domestic violence to uh, a predator that was sexually abusive, that was uh, very close to us as well. And I think with all those things going on, it kind of led me to... Um, a point in my life not to blame those things but you know the common denominator would say that you know you're a really broken human being you know and um and I was you know I this was in your teen early teens I'm I'm now um still probably in primary school age and heading into my 12 11 yeah 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 into that age group and um and I think because of that, and, and there was a time where it would have ceased, I think, because of my age, but there were other younger siblings behind me as well. Yeah. And so I think it was always around in our environment. Sure. It's just uh, no one was lifting the lid on it. You know, it yeah. wasn't being talked about. It wasn't being exposed. And so I think by the time I hit my early teens, um, it's really difficult because for my mum... Uh, 
That's fine. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, people would ask me, why didn't anyone, you know, where was your mom at this time? And, yes. and I just want to um, sort of clarify that, um, you know, she was also uh, situated in this abusive environment in both cases herself. And so because of this, it makes it really difficult to just get out of the abuse cycle. Yeah. It seems to hit everybody. Yes. And um, so, you know, the abuse, even though it was taking place with us, you know, or, or with myself and, and my siblings at the time, you've also got this parent that's suffering too. And so I think, you know, for all of us, it was just such a crazy time in our life and a really dark time. Yeah. And, um, and through that, um, you know, I really walked away from the Lord. It was, I knew him as a child. I yes. loved him. I wanted yeah. to give my life to him. Um, I was always like that, but I think there was so much taken and so much abuse that, um, I ended up just, you know, I, I was looking for a way out. I was looking yeah. for somewhere where there was safety and I hadn't known it. And so I began to give myself to partners or to, to people that I would, uh, think maybe would be a safe place or where yeah. I could lean into that they would care for me. And, um, it just ran a spiral then into, you know, drugs and alcohol, partners, things like that, um, where I was just so lost, you know, yeah. and so far from God. I was so broken and hurt. I wasn't really so much angry at the Lord. I just felt so much shame and so much brokenness because while this was taking place, while I was making these conscious de- decisions, this yeah. reaping and sowing I was going through, I knew in my core value and I knew in my heart that um, it wasn't good for me. I knew that this yeah. environment wasn't good for me. I knew that um, this wasn't really what I wanted to do. Sure. It's just I didn't really have any other tools in, in my belt. I didn't know where else to go. Yeah. And so I was looking for that safety net that, of course, isn't any isn't found anywhere else except for in Jesus. There were no friends or anyone that, mm. no, one, no one to land back on? I think when you go back, um, I think now we, we have a little bit more. Um, yeah available to people that are going through you know domestic violence you know we've lifted that lid off now and we're exposing this you know i have to go to my age now where i'm in my 40s and Mm -hmm. if you go back to to that time frame i still think it wasn't exposed like it is today there wasn't as much it was a taboo people didn't talk about yeah Yeah. and and if it was brought up it would usually be swept under the carpet in such a way well don't go back there don't think about those things you know just forget it move on on. go on with your life you don't have to let it affect you you know and in some ways they were right you know it's not good to dredge things up all the time but you needed healing as well yeah but you and and you need um well one you need it to stop and two you know uh, sometimes you need someone to just say yes this has happened yeah like for me it was the acknowledgement that i wasn't going crazy i wasn't just thinking these things had happened i wasn't abusers usually do that they say look you lost your mind that never happened yeah they silence you by many different ways yeah and it's funny that people around you that really love you that are shamed from that also try to do the same they try to silence it because it will expose them or expose others around them and um, everybody just wants it to be hushed, you know, and swept yeah. under the carpet. But unfortunately, for the most part, the victim needs someone to step up and say it's okay. Because I think not only are you silenced with being able to tell anyone, yes. they're very clever like that. 
it's that no one gives you the right to have your emotions. Mm. No one's giving you the right to feel, you know, and that too is abusive in itself, I feel. There's no pause button. Yeah, yeah. It's either go, 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 or just shift into another gear. Exactly. And what happens... There's no reflection. There's no reflection. And I think you end up becoming someone that you're just not. It's not your core value. It's not really who you are. And you're trapped. You're trapped, yeah, yeah. And this went on for how long? Waiting um, in your teen years? I think um, when I really walked away from the Lord, it probably began heavily around 16 years old. I moved out from home yeah. and I moved in with my first boyfriend at that time, again, looking for somewhere that was solid. I always knew the Lord. And so yeah. every time I made a conscious decision forward, there would be this um, unsettled inside myself about yeah. knowing what I was doing. So my natural intention was always, I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to give my life to this person because I want to cover this up. I yeah. want to cover this sin, you know. Yeah. And um, and of course, praise God, he um, has a better, you know, wonderfully married now today for 16 yeah. years with my partner. But, um, you know, he, his ways are better than ours. And so he's, he's always delivering us out of those things. You know, yeah. he is the God that delivers. Um, but yeah, I was probably about 16 and I moved out, um, with my first partner and from there on it went for quite a few years and it was probably, uh, when I got married, when I, when I actually met my husband, it was where I was turning my life back to the Lord, but I was still really far from um, living a Christian lifestyle or did you finish uh, school? I, I didn't, I probably went to school to about the age of about 12 years old, Mm -hmm. um, about 11 or 12, I would have academically finished. Um, but I went on to uh, raise a number of um, very successful businesses. I'm a hairdresser by trade, so I went into a trade. Um, and I, I was good at it, art, artistic, yeah. and um, I rose to the top. Yeah, I'm a go-getter type personality. Yeah. And um, so from that, you know, I was really blessed. Uh, it was I, I feel like it was God's blessing along the way. I didn't just do an apprenticeship. I did it with the top company yeah, yeah. that we have here in Perth, Morris Mead. Morris Mead, I was going to so say. <laughs> I did it with them and then I learned from the best and I learned from the top. And I was How did you get an best. apprenticeship with them? I, Morris happened to be sitting in um, the reception just this one day that um, we were we were walking by in Myers. Back then it was a Hearns, I think, and um, he was upstairs. Or maybe it was David Jones and a Hearns back in the old day. And, in Claremont or here? Um, in, it was uh, in Burgoon, actually. Oh, in Burgoon at yeah. Garden City. And we were having to walk past and I saw him sitting on the lounge and I knew he was off the adverts. Yes. And um, I just... I think I was with my mom at the time and I said, I really want to do an apprenticeship, hairdressing apprenticeship. I had been saying this. I didn't want to go back to school. School for me was really difficult. You know, I had to think under pressure. Mm -hmm. And for me, with I think with all my past, it wasn't that I... Uh, wasn't smart or intelligent to pass school. The mind wasn't clear. I couldn't. Too much baggage. It was too much baggage at that time. Too much hurt. Yeah. And so... um, he was sitting there and I walked in and uh, we chatted for a couple of minutes. What did you say? How did you introduce yourself? Do you remember? No, I don't. I think he was just sitting there and my mum began to talk to the lady at the reception. Yeah. Actually not to him, not addressing yes. him. And she might have mentioned something. Okay. And at that moment I turned around and I remember being really dressed up and it was so funny. I remember being dressed up in somebody else's outfit that day. Because we didn't have a lot, you know, I came from a single mom with four of us. And so for some reason I was dressed in another outfit. Maybe I hadn't, I, maybe I had an interview there, I think, but I didn't expect him to be in the building. And I remember being dressed in someone else's outfit and he took a liking to me there in, in in that moment. 
and um, I sat and I chatted for a minute and that was it I started the next week wonderful yeah and so it started a journey of a very different part of my life um, but God wastes nothing. Yeah, Could you Lord. cover up uh, in, in that doing, environment? I was covering up. I was masquerading. So in that environment where I'm dealing with the rich and famous. It was a new facade. It was a facade. Yeah. You must have done really well though. I did. You're an actress. I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. At that age and to put a good act together. At that age nobody knew for a really long time. But you do come... You come on sullen after a while and, um, you know, the end was, it was coming. I, I couldn't hold that down any longer. I couldn't hold what it felt like to be in there. And, um, you know, a couple of things happened and it just really broke my heart. It was, you know, uh, it had something to do with what I was wearing and, um, you know, I had never seen a paycheck. I came from a single mother with four of us in yeah. the house. I'd never known what I got paid, you yes. know. And, um, you know, they quietly took me aside and said, you know, you've been here for a year now. I think it's about time you buy some new clothes. But little did they know what my life was like at home. So the money went into the family. It just would have gone into where it needed to go. Yeah. yeah. But I Bills. never questioned that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were one with the family. It, there was we, no we segregation. We had each other and that was it. Yeah. And at yeah. 16, you were still doing The Apprentice when you left home? Um, yes. Uh, yes, I was. Yes, I stayed doing that. And um, he was doing an apprenticeship himself. And so it just kind of worked. He was doing one, I was doing okay. another. And so we, you know, we were together for about four years, I think, oh. at that time. So I went through into my, um, just before, you know, my 20s. Yeah. So that, when that relationship broke, that would have hurt you as well? Yeah, it was devastating. Um, I was, that, at that point, I was angry at God. Yeah. At that point, I was really angry. I'd sort of gotten to that point where, again, the abuse hadn't come up yet. Yes. Um, no one was talking about it. I've just left. And um, it was probably around that time after we broke up that I began to get angry. And that's when I went through a journey of, you know, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment towards my mom, towards everyone, towards yeah. anything, um, the law, everything, you know, whatever was rebellious, I was going to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then you met your current husband. Yeah. Well, soon after that, um, <laughs> I don't know how far to go into my background. There's a lot of testimony in there. That's fine. Um, there was a time where I had to leave Australia um, because I was owned by a very powerful man um and that was the next relationship and um yeah i i had to leave for my daughter and my sake and so i have so you had a child i had a child with the first or the second boyfriend no yes with the second boyfriend yeah okay and i i had a child and she was um about two years old at that time i believe um maybe a little bit younger or maybe a little bit older I, yeah i'd have to and you really said he think. owned you he owned me um, in a sense I could not leave. I was in a really dangerous position and place, you know, mm -hmm. and um, they had made threats that if I didn't come back to him, um, that they would uh, burn my daughter's father to death in front of her. It was things like this that were being said to me. From the in-laws or from no, friends? No, from his, it's actually a third boyfriend. This is, <laughs> so sorry. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, there's there's just a lot of complications in those in those years, and so I had a, I had a daughter to a, another gentleman um, that I really loved a lot, and we were on and off for about five years, 
But I ended up sort of in between that, getting into this relationship with this guy that really owned me in the end. There was no way out. Um, and um, he was a part of a gang here. And yeah, it was like, it was just really hectic. And so I was finding that I wanted to give my daughter up to my mom. I wanted to give my yes. daughter away because I was too afraid of what life she would live. Yes. And I thought that my life was done. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. There's, there's nothing in me of goodness anyway. Mm. And so I just kind of, um, I kind of like lay victim to that, that type of lifestyle. But um, anyway, there was a time where, um, yeah, I had to leave to be uh, in a protective place for a period of time before I was did you able go? to. And we went to Germany, actually, where her father and her family, my daughter's uh, father and family, were from. And we stayed there for a period of time. And that's when With we... your in-laws as such? Yes. And that's... Safe where... haven? Safe haven. And uh, because you're in Germany, you know, without a long-standing visa or being married, you cannot days. stay. Yeah. And um, it was just long enough to get a breathing space and to make a plan of how to come back into Australia and hoping that he would kind of move on with yeah. his thoughts. And, um, and that's exactly what took place. And um, I was able to come back through into Port Hedland. Okay. And, and that's where we get to the meeting of my husband that I'm married okay. to now. Yeah. So rather than coming back to Perth where I came the mess back, was? Yeah, I came back where it was and not really, I wasn't going to be sighted by anyone Yeah, mm-hmm. for a time. So we stayed. So there. Port Hedland was a safe place for you, wasn't it? Even though it was home. Yeah, it was like where I was born. I did a full 360 and ended up back in this There's something mining. about the land, isn't it? There's something about the land, yeah. 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 God wastes nothing, you know, ever. Yeah. Like where you're born, where you've lived, how you've grown. It, when you think that you despise part of your life because of the sin, you know, he wastes none of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're back in Port Hedland. And I'm you're... back in Port Hedland and um, I met Luke, that is my husband, yeah. a wonderful man of God. Um, I didn't really think much of him. I, I thought of him as a great guy, yeah. but I thought I am... He was too good for me. That's okay. what I really thought. I thought that my past, who I was, and what I saw him like in his family and his parents, I thought, oh, this poor guy. I, I really thought I would damage this poor man. You know, like, it wouldn't have been kind of me. Um, and just because I knew, like you said, I had many masks on. I was living this, you know, so many different roles. And yeah. I was trying to find my way back to um, who I was. I was trying to find the Lord. And... All the while, I'm pivoting back to the Lord in my heart, but my lifestyle still has a time to adjust, you know, back to yeah. that place. And so, yeah, I, I meet Luke, and he's very interested, and I'm just kind of doing the cold shoulder, and um, as you do. And eventually, I can't stay up, up in Port Hedland for too long. It's really costly up there. It's a mining yeah. town. Yeah. I have my daughter, and so rent's very expensive. Yeah, groceries, everything. Yeah, and so I make my way back to Perth, and yeah. everything seems very quiet. I just know that I'm never going to go into those regions again, or, or make myself known. And so I just come, you know, to live very simply with my daughter back in Perth, and I do for a time. And Luke continually, consistently, yes, and I was really ignoring for quite some time. And, and then finally I said, well, you know, what do you want? And um, he said, I just want to get to know you. And I thought, I've heard that before. But he was going to Canada for about 12 months uh, on this what? trip. It was actually something that he'd wanted to do for years. His family had encouraged him. Um, his parents were wonderful people and they paid this ticket. And he had been working as a tradie for a long time as well. And he'd saved up. He'd been in the mining in- industry. Yeah. And so he was ready to go, you know, and... And I said, okay, well, I knew he was leaving. So yes. I thought this gave me an out, you know, I could date this guy. And um, 
And so it was the first turning point where I decided to date someone without letting them close to me in an intimate Mm -hmm. relationship Um, because I'd really spoken to the Lord. Lord, I I need you. Was he a believer? No. No. Okay. But you, you, you... We're turning around. But I was turning around, but um, yeah, and I didn't think too much of it because I knew he was leaving, mm-hmm. and so it just seemed easy to me. And so we dated for some time. He left, yeah. And um, after he left, he was just greatly disturbed that he had left, and it really wasn't long before he returned home. Yeah. Okay. And when he returned home, the rest is history. We were engaged after about six weeks of yeah. Uh, looking at each other face to face over a few months period because he lived in Port Hedland, I was in Perth, and then we were married. You know, less than twelve months later. Okay. Yeah. How did he propose to you? Um. Actually, his mum had cancer at the time. Oh. Yes, and so I think it was there was loss coming. It was inevitable in that sense of what they were walking out as their own family. Yeah. And I think. Um, when it came to me, it was like a decision point. I had this daughter and I didn't want to just have these relationships Yes. and I didn't want him just flying in. And so I said, you know, unless you want to offer me something more, I'm going to cut this off. And so it was really a decision that he had to make and, um, and he made it. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for him. <laughs> Did his yeah. mum survive? No, she has passed now over, over 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you get married? We got married and we had our son. Oh, Levi. you had a son. We had a son, Levi, uh, the year or so later. Yeah, oh, yeah, about a year later. So we have the two. We have Mercedes, and um, she was about four and a half when and we got she married. She adapted well. She really, he loved her so yeah. much. I think the thing is about Luke. My husband is a father's heart. Okay. And um, he was the right person for me. And yeah. I want to let you know is before this happened with Luke, I cried out to the Lord out the front of my house at that time I said Lord I need you to give me my husband because I don't trust myself I'm too afraid of what I will do or what what I'll put myself or my daughter into I need you to give me my husband and you must give him to me quickly and that was Luke yeah praise God yeah so God has suddenly that are awesome and how did the journey back to Christ yeah well it was kind of together from that point um when I got married, I felt a sense of security and that I began to really share with this guy. You know, yeah. I, he had married this party animal, he thought, you know. Yeah. And um, being from the Pilbara, you know, they often would go out and drink a lot. You know, yeah. it, it seems to be a lot, a part of our Escape. Um, yeah, society up there. And um, and so it was really like, you know, I began to say, I, I don't want you drinking so much. I don't want to be drinking so much, you know. Yes. So we just started to do these little pivots and, and I just began to talk to him about the Lord and how I was a Christian once and how I love the Lord. I want to bring my kids up this way. And and he was just never opposed to it. Yeah. I, I think in some ways he had always believed in God. He had mm-hmm. done, I think, a Catholic school for a number of years in his primary years. And to him it was, yes, he just didn't really know the whole gospel message, sure. yeah, to really believe it. But I think in his heart, he's always been a believer. Mm. And so it was very easy for Luke to kind of walk into that. Um, there was never a pushback from him. It was just something he accepted as, yes, this, he is a Christian and he's going to receive the Lord. And so there was a day and a time in a church where he put it, put up his hand and yeah. he did the, um, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, that was about, you know, uh, maybe five years into the marriage where he really... Um, got baptized yeah yeah, yeah. Really when were you baptized 
I was actually baptized as a young child. Okay. Um, we read a baptism. I can't remember my age. Maybe I was six or eight, um, somewhere there. Maybe I was a little bit older. My mum would know the answer to that. But when I was younger and um, they were baptizing other people and I remember the pastor said, does anybody else want to be baptized here? And I ran through the crowd underneath everybody to the front and, and I want to be baptized and, and he baptized you there and, and he baptized me there oh and what a beautiful story and then I've been baptized again in Israel okay. um, I have heritage that is uh, Israeli heritage on my grandmother's side and so um, I was I managed to scooch over there before COVID the crazy season came and um, just had an amazing tour and mm. uh, went around Israel which was just amazing and I was baptized again in the Jordan River there which was many years after everything so for me that was really special yeah. yeah yeah wonderful yeah and then uh, you carried on working as a hairdresser I did um, on and off having my kids but I didn't just uh, do a hairdresser after I had my first child about six months I designed my first salon okay and um, so I went into business and um, that salon was incredible. Uh, we opened the doors from the ground running, uh, hit the ground running, you know, from, from the word go. And um, that was in Port Headland. And I, you know, we, it was, you, you, I say it like this, not, not to promote the, the financial side, but we literally went from zero to, heal. you know, to, you know, over a million dollars through the till in the first year. Like wow. it was just phenomenal. And, and I say that figure because you're talking about haircuts, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, $20 and that. So it just shows the amount of work and the amount yeah. of hours and, um, People and yeah, and so I had a, yes, I had a one year old, many staff at that time, uh, girls and you're up there in a region where the turnover is very high in staff because yes. they don't last. Their relationships don't last. It's a harsh, um, they say it's the second harshest, uh, uh, climate I believe or area to Antarctica that's what it's been known for is Port Hedland and the region and so because of heat and humidity I think just, and yeah just everything and... yes yes and so you're in this environment that is so um, different to anywhere else on the planet and yeah. um, you know so we're seeing a massive amount of stuff and so during that season the Lord just really grew me as a person in my character mm-hmm. I learned a lot of lessons through my shocking character <laughs> and um, praise the Lord his gracious and his mercy is there you know and it's everlasting and overflowing and so you know I was able to look and recognize this was just so broken the way I handled myself or um, it hurt somebody else. And so, uh, you know, the abused becomes the abuser. And I was really such an abusive person, not because my heart wanted to be. I was never that uh, personality really. Just hurt. I was just so hurt. Yeah, I didn't know how to express it, didn't know how to deal with it. And actually you you mirror what what happened to you. Yeah, and so um, I wasn't the greatest boss, I have to admit. You know, I was a taskmaster. I expected and demanded the best. I was the best, you know, and so I um, kind of expected that. So you were also on the floor? I was also on the floor, yeah. So I was the largest taker in the salon, um, you know, for 18 months. But that's where the kind of the real tip comes in is after about 18 months of 70 hours a week with a one-year-old, my son was born very premature. Um, You know, he had to be resuscitated a number of times within that first year. I was not sleeping a lot. I had all the staff. Who was looking after him? My husband and myself. My husband would be a shift worker. Okay. And I would work and he would go to daycare and... Uh, you know, I was just juggling and I yeah. had my other daughter who was seven or eight years old at the time. And, um, you know, I was trying to pull off super mum, superhero, mm. super everything, still masked with yes. so many masks. Yes. 
And um, it was, I hit a tip point where it was like, I went into hospital having a full nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, when I got in there, my actual adrenal gland, my major organs were shutting down. I was really sick. Um, yeah. yeah, I was worn out, I was exhausted. And um, it's funny, my sister sometimes says it uh, like this, and I, I didn't realize in the moment, but I would have never stopped. I was so yes. strong. Yeah. It's kind of that warrior spirit, you know. Yeah. I was so strong, and I think... Um, in the mind. Yes. Determined. Determined, yeah. And the reason why I did the salon is I wanted to prove to everybody and myself I was something more than an 11-year-old abused person. That you know, strong. With no education, with no... Yeah, it was like I wanted to prove to everyone in the world that yeah. I was something. And... Um, and so that's kind of what drove me. I was just very driven. And I think at that time, taking my mind out was the only way yeah. to kind of hold me and yeah. to turn me. And it, it was really... You actually channeled everything, all that yeah. anger towards work. Yeah. It's almost like a man. Yeah. You were living the life of a man almost. Yeah, yeah totally. You know? <laughs> totally. Now you understand us. I, d- I understand we, you guys so that's much. That's why we achieve so many things because we, <laughs> you know, yeah. we poured our lives into those things. Yeah. The focus was so huge. Yeah. But it did burn you out. It did. And yeah. it, it uh, I was also caused outside of my natural strength. It also caused collateral damage with the kids and obviously the family Everyone, life. Everybody was impacted at that mm. point in time. And um, you know, you know, and it's huge to be able to get your marriage to make it through that and yeah. to be able to get your children to balance back out after, yeah. that, after that was really the grace of God in our lives. How long uh, did the um, let's say the medical condition yeah. last? Um, Weeks or months? It really is a journey over 10 years, I would say, um, where the transfer- transformational hand of God hits you. You know, yeah. it's a suddenly, but then there's a journey. The process. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's much of a process in there, but yes, it, you know, and then there was a suddenly. Um, but if we go back to when I was in the hospital, I just remember for that moment sitting there on the shower floor and just speaking to the Lord, if you save my life, because I knew the psychiatric, you know, the psychologist had been in, they said to my husband that she's so damaged, she's never going to come back from this. Like there's just been too much in her past, you know, expect her to go uh, in and out of Greylands, expect her to be on medication for the rest of her life, you know. And when I was hearing these words, this fear was just overtaking me, overtaking my soul, overtaking my heart. And I remember just in that moment, um, crying out to the Lord, Lord, if you will heal me for my children, yes. if you'll heal me, God, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. I'll, I'll give you the rest of my life if you touch me. And it was kind of in that moment, I have to say, there was the way back, but it is a journey back. Yeah. yeah. And so I walked out of hospital trying a couple of medications for a little bit, yeah. um, but it really was a couple of weeks in, I, de- I decided that... Um, I'd become very agoraphobic. I had um, become just so fearful, panic disorder and all sorts of, they had diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress, you know, all those big labels. And I just remember sitting in my house and someone introduced me to actually um, Bethel Church at the time. And you have to go back and realize we have so much online now. Sure. But back then, no, there, wasn't. there wasn't the same thing. Some tapes occasionally, maybe a, a couple book. of YouTubes yeah. or something. Um, but they were really, had established an online movement that was um, really amazing. There was a lot of worship and yeah. a lot of time that you could spend soaking. with the Lord. Soaking. And so I call it my Bethelization, you know, where <laughs> Jesus, he just, and... Um, you know, we you know, ran. And I know it's the Lord that did We ran uh, 
the School of Supernatural Ministry at Church Oh, wow. Yes, of course you did. Yeah. Yes, I do know that. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yes I've, yes, I've had that conversation. Um, and so it was really uh, that moment that uh, someone introduced me to that, that I just began to watch it. And um, I, I say eight or nine hours a day. My husband said way more. <laughs> but where, because <laughs> I'd only sleep a little few hours, you know, and then I'd be back up. But I practically couldn't look after my children at that time. I couldn't look after myself at that time. Um, you know, I was very anorexic. I was kind of going through these stages where I, I, I know I have to eat and I'm really working hard on, on, on just being able to manage myself, but I couldn't manage anything else. So my husband really pulled up a big weight um, yeah. at that time. And my mum flew in and, and um, she was a missionary in Thailand at that time. And, um, you know, my family's phenomenal in what they've done for the Lord. You know, every, coming out of such broken places, the phenomenal but, yeah. story across my family is, is just amazing. Um and I, yeah, and so for eight or nine hours, and I literally did that for about 10 months where it was my everything. Like I worshiped, I prayed, I was on my knees, I fasted, I listened, and I just wept before the Lord. And it was just such a beautiful moment where yeah. I began to, I can see now where he built an intimacy with him that now is something I live from as well, yes. even though I was in a really damaged place. And um, it's like, just, just, I had to just give everything over to him. Every sorrow, every pain, every trauma, everything. And there was a moment where there was an encounter and um, he came into my house. It was Jesus came and he had came, he came for my pain that day. Yes. And, um, and I knew he had come in and I was kind of in this moment where I was, um, had been weeping and weeping and when he entered it's like he sealed my eyes shut so i could see him in the spirit but i knew he was there in the physical too because yeah. i'd seen him enter during the through the front hallway and he was coming towards me and at that time he sealed my eyes shut and it, my heart could see him but i couldn't look upon him because he was so glorious and so beautiful and when he came, I knew as he was advancing me, he'd come for my one thing, my pain. But I began to say to him, you can take anything else you want. You can take my life. You can take my marriage. You can take my money. Yes. You can even take my children, I said. But you can't have that. I earned it. It's my right to keep it. It's what the costed pain. me. Yes. Wow. It's costed me. It's what I lived out. It's my pain. And it was. it's because it was like... It was the only thing I knew. It was my whole makeup. It was a fuel. My whole, it, was it was a fuel. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I earned this. Yeah, I paid I the price. This. I paid that price for it. I was telling him. But he's so beautiful and kind. He didn't say anything. He just kept coming. And yeah. as he kept coming, he just kept coming with love and with power and compassion. And when he came towards me, there was like this prophetic act in a moment that happened where I didn't even know what a prophetic act was. I'd been out of church all my life. I didn't hear yeah. the lingo. Yeah. But it was like, I just remember bringing my heart out from my chest and holding it. And it was my everything. And as he cupped it, I felt his tangible touch. As he cupped my heart, as he cupped my pain, it was gone. It was like an immediate gone. And um, it was just... Release, just discharge, everything. Like a sealer. Boom. Yeah. Like there was nothing left. Vacuum. And then after a minute or so, I just kept feeling for it because it was like I was empty. I was light. There was nothing left. And that then created kind of this wave for a moment of, you know, if you sweep the house clean, 
you know, you have to fill it. Yeah. And so there was this moment of where these nerves, this, this fear began to rise again. Lord, I, and I began to say, I can't feel anything now. I, I have no emotion. Like yeah. I felt dry because I'd never known peace. Empty. It, yeah. was it was empty. It was, it was pure, empty, serenity. pure. Yeah. And in that moment, he just, he asked me a question. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? This was the question. Jesus God. asked me, what can I do for you? <laughs> That's beautiful. And, um, and the rest, it, you know, it goes on from there as I make my way through my life. But we just had a, an incredible encounter. And when I looked at the time frame, because I'd rung my husband before, it was about four hours had taken place. And it felt like it was only moments. Yeah. And that unlocked the healing. It really, uh, it was a real pivot point for me. Um, I got on an aircraft shortly after. Um, and I, I, I said to the Lord when he asked me what, you know, what can I do for you? I, I just blurted out, I want a, I want a father who knows me. I want a father who knows who I am. I want a father who loves me like you love me. And, um, I don't know what I was really saying at that time. And I boarded a plane for Singapore and you have to remember I was agoraphobic. I couldn't yeah. even get my car to drive my kids to school. I couldn't even go into a shopping center. You know, I'd gone from this big personality owning this shop, you know, running this to just nothing to, um, and it was funny at the time before I had that encounter, my mum had rung from that a missionary crew. She's, um, you know, a founder and a set off of help save the kids in Thailand, Burma, Myanmar. And, you know, they rang me and they said, you know, um, we need some money. The, the girls are tired. The missions are tired. There's five of us. We want to go to Singapore. There's kingdom invasion yeah. happening over there. And, you know, will you send us? And, and uh, you know, we're in mining and I had the company and so it was doing well. And so, of course, we were able to supply what they needed financially yeah. to build that ministry overseas. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, yes, of course. You know, I rang Luke. My husband said, can we release, you know, this money to them and can they go and when I hung up the phone, I never asked about myself. Yeah. But as I was having the encounter with Jesus, my husband was having an encounter with the Lord himself in his office at work, where God wow. said, book her tickets, business class, book her tickets, because she's going to ring back and I want to send her. She's going to wow. go. And um, so I asked for this father that loves me, this father who knows who I am. And when I ring back four hours later, I go to my husband. I want to go to Singapore. I want to be able to get on this flight, but I'm about to say, you know, I don't, I can't do it. I, you know, yes. and all the usual is going to yes. come out. And my husband just cuts me off and says, I already booked you tickets. I think God Whoa. spoke to me. You're meant to get on this plane list. And he begins to, I'm like, no, I can't. And he begins to say, no, you can. I've booked business class. You can sleep. You can rest. Your mom's going to be there on the other side. I've spoken to them. Everything's okay. And, um, and I got on that plane and I made it over there. And that's where God gave me a spiritual father that has, just loved me in my brokenness and loved me in my uh, rebellion and loved me in my worst moments and has been such a confident and encouragement, a love, a healing to me. And I was given one of the greatest spiritual fathers that I think any daughter could have been given. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. You needed that. I did. I need someone uh, you know, very trustworthy and safe. We need yeah. God in a, in a man. Yeah, yeah, we do. Sometimes we need to yeah. see him. You know, it needs to be lived We out. We know he's God and he, we know he's our yeah. Heavenly Father. But especially for you who has been hurt, who has mm. been, uh, you know, molested, you know, violated in, yeah. in the young period of your life, you needed a physical man. Yes. In, in the presence, I'm talking. You do. Like, who, I, I think we need to live it out. Yeah. Yeah. Who embodies God. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes who, you can't yeah. see the Lord. Because then you, 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 you think that all men 
mm. have some issues. Yes, yes. So unless there's someone mature, somebody that can carry yes. that for you or show that, yes. model that for you. And I think for me, like, I couldn't see the father properly because yeah. of the lenses that were attached to me and the shame and the victim of what I was carrying, the of narcissistic course. personality. All of it, I couldn't, I couldn't see him clearly, yeah. but through this man, through being given this father that loved me so much. The scales fell off. Yes, I was able to see what my father really looked like through his life. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Fast forward to today. Yeah. What are you doing today? Well, today um, I'm working in full-time ministry, praise God. Yeah. Uh, we, we, I had three salons, but in 2019, I felt the Lord say, I want you to put everything down in the okay. natural. I'm going to give you spiritual tools to pick up. Yeah. And so it took a moment for us to make that decision as a, as a family because we really relied on that income. Of course. And, um, and we did, and we made that decision. And today I find myself in full-time ministry. Um, yeah. Again, I, I didn't really think that that was for me i thought the marketplace was where i was going to be an yeah. evangelist but um you know his his ways are amazing and when i think about all the visions i've had or, or what i've seen or what the lord's shown me about you know my own personal part to play in all of yeah. this you know it really boils down to being in ministry full time you know and he's shown me that since i was young i just kind of so did you start a new ministry or you part yeah. of a church ministry or yeah well para I, church yes i really believe in being part of the local church okay i i um i just want to really encourage people be part of your local community church absolutely um and through that when god is ready to lift you up in due season he will do so and so I started a parachurch ministry about 12 months ago, mm -hmm. um, where if I had started it even slightly too soon, it wouldn't have worked. But starting it when God began to open the doors, he yeah. really spoke to me one night. He woke me up. It was a powerful meeting moment, an intimate moment with the Lord. It was a vision. It was during COVID. And I just, in obedience, moved on that. And from there, the rest is kind of where we are today. But um, an Exodus Projects was birthed at okay. that time, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, it's been so fun. And what Exodus Projects is, is an evangelistic missionary movement to take the gospel into um, society, no matter where that looks, whether it's with the local church, yeah. um, gearing up with them, training and equipping, whether it's in marketplace, you know, we're kind of looking for all areas to get into the community. Um, and we have a lot of projects behind it. You know, we do lots of things from missionaries um, being deployed into regions to uh, training and equipping schools, you know, to... Um, you know, Jesus Nights Perth, where it's yeah. a deliberate action taken, yeah. yeah, to thunder the gospel in the heart of a city, you know, uh, where it's got worship and uh, fun stuff. So it has lots of different angles to it. But one of our biggest things that we, we're really building towards is discipleship in this program is how to train disciples that know how to train disciples that can train disciples. disciples yeah. And um, so it's, it's a really big heart of us in what we're sort of moving to in the future with the project. So we do a lot of um, outreach, a lot of evangelism, a lot of that type of thing. Um, and moving with the local church always, never again. So you're part of CRC? I'm part Christian of CRC Bible church. church. Yes, yes. Which um, is just... Um, 50 meters much, that yeah. way. <laughs> it's just next door. We are, we are in the holy corner. 
And we're neighbours, guys. Yeah. Um, this know. was uh, this was your pastor's office. You probably don't know. This I was, did not know that. This was Clive Poston's office. <laughs> okay. I mean, so place. it's a holy office. There's anointing here. That's why I moved in here. Yes, yes. And, um, <laughs> and yeah. in fact, next week we're going to have Sharon on the show. Yeah, wow, well, that's amazing. And we have David. They're son. amazing. So they're all part of your team. I have an incredible leadership team. Yeah. that, um, And they're not the only ones. You know, we've, uh, Exodus Projects was really birthed in the first year from reality church okay. you know as my main pastors that's like, 200 meters down the 200 road. <laughs> meters, guys, we are all here in the same neighborhood which is a wonderful church as well and um and they really got behind birthing everything and yes. they were really behind me personally you know as wonderful. personal pastors and crc has really stepped in to be behind the projects wonderful. and so that just makes a lot of sense um you know we work as a power ministry we get to work with all churches which mm-hmm. is super exciting yeah so we were expanding churches and yeah. now you are yeah. going up north you're taking a yeah. team in a few weeks yeah we're launching our second team up north actually yeah. um, which is back to the local area where i was born and raised Can you're you going to raven we're going to Robin, yeah, oh. yeah, Robin and Port Headland um, to share the gospel. And so our main outreach arm on this is for the indigenous people. Wonderful. And um, I'm really going back for that next generation. And you're taking our cameraman. We're taking, to behind the scenes, guys, <laughs> <laughs> my beautiful admin and the cameraman, and we're taking both of them oh, and that are in the room with us. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's done the, uh, the equipping as well, the evangelistic uh, intensive. He did the School of Revolution. Wow, fantastic, fantastic. What's the legacy? Obviously, there's a lot to do with evangelism and discipleship. Mm. What what would you like your kids to remember you by? Yeah, I think someone that they truly saw the Father transform their life through the gospel message. Yeah, I think if my kids could say anything, because there's been some challenging moments, especially my daughter's 20, you know, and so she's seen a lot and been through a lot, but... Um, the one thing I want to leave behind is that she recognizes how God can transform a life, you know, and, um, and it, she doesn't just see it in, in my life. She sees it in her own life where he's healed, you know, um, those areas. And when transformation comes in, it doesn't go backwards. No. It only ever goes forward, yes. you know, and, um, and I think if I was to leave a legacy, it's where they really know when the kingdom comes, when his will is done and when his kingdom comes, that everything else must shift in that in that place, and um, so I hope to leave a legacy with my children that they really recognize the kingdom when it comes, yeah, and the power and authority that that kingdom brings with it, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you've recognized it for yourself, and you're sharing it out there, so wonderful. Yeah. This is beautiful. Thank you so much for coming to the show and yeah. just being yourself and being you know godly, yeah. <laughs> and inspiring the people, our listeners, and our people who watch the show. Uh, I can't wait to hear more from the trip. I'm sure you'll you'll have plenty of testimonies to bring from the trip. Well, you've heard a beautiful story of Shah's uh, past, but also the victory that Christ has brought in her. I don't know what your story is like, how messed up you may have, you know, chapters in your story, but just let me tell you that God turns people around and God does bring transformation. And when He transforms somebody, there's nothing that they go back to. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the healing power. And as Shah was healed by the Lord and he took her away her pain and delivered her and freed her, the Lord can do the very same for you. So even if your pain uh, is, is burdensome and you may want to give up at times, don't give up. Just surrender to the Lord and let him heal you. Let him take care of you. 
let him look after you. There is hope, there is a future with God. Well, if you love this story, do share it uh, with other people uh, on various channels, wherever you watch or consume this material. Um, and rate, uh, subscribe to our channels, give us five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts so we can promote more and more the show. And do come back next time um, at Kingdom Stories from the Ananda. We bless you and uh, we really pray that this story has transformed you in one way or another. Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.